best coverage of the top stories in sports. The Sports Wrap with Jason Page starts now. Indeed it does. Thank you, Chad Erickson. Good to have you with us on this Friday edition of the show in which you will hear from Tino Patino, our NASCAR insider. Does a great job with Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. Get some thoughts with him on this week's race in Las Vegas. But we got to take a look back at what took place in Atlanta last weekend with the Ambetter 400, including Tino's over-the-top reaction. Yeah, I'd say that's about right. Uh, We'll get into that as we go through the show. Also, uh, Martin Gallegos will wrap up our AL West preview this week. He with MLB.com, Oakland A's reporter. Uh, from Mesa, Arizona, we will preview the 2024 Oakland A's. We saved the best for last, baby. <laughs> Sam Yarnell is here, ladies and gentlemen. As always. Final week in Studio S, huh? Final week uh, in Studio that's S. That's right. Studio S is going on the road. We're going to... What should we name the new studio? S2? I'm not sure. 2S. Studio, studio 2S. S. There we go. Yeah. So move, moving, um, moving really out of the beltway, huh? Moving out of the That's beltway. True. Yep. It's a big We're move for you. We're not disclosing the new location, but it'll no longer be the DMV. I've I've stayed my welcome here, and uh, I'm starting to feel the wrath from the locals. I think they want me out. <laughs> They're tired of the Prince of Picks. Um, All right. Really quick, really quick, yeah, Jason. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned Tino Patino. Uh, on the show today. Quick shout out, quick promotion. Tino just launched his own podcast, Tino Patino here. Uh, he's always here. Check it out. Uh, I believe it's on Spotify, Apple, wherever get you get your podcasts. Uh, it's a great podcast. I was a guest on uh, the first episode or the second episode, God. but uh, he had to reach great. real Check far. He had to reach real far for that one. Didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Sam. Um, Club Shay Shay, Shannon Sharp, Ocho Cinco, they have a show called Nightcap. And um, in last night's show, the two of them got into an interesting topic that is people around football kind of just debating. It's one of those It's one of those evergreen football topics that you could talk about any time of the year. It's fun. It's a Friday. Why not? Um, because we could sit here and, and belabor NBA regular season all day. And another great performance by LeBron James last night, by the way. Uh, in a, in a, against my Wizards. In a Lakers win against the lowly Washington Wizards. Um, but but let's talk about this idea that, and you can see it at the top of the screen. The, the topic of conversation was, could Lamar Jackson win a Super Bowl if he had what Patrick Mahomes has had? I, look, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion he would. And I say that as somebody who watched Lamar Jackson improve this season and play better football and win another MVP, but I'm not convinced they win a Super Bowl with Lamar Jackson at quarterback. What say you? I think that it's an interesting discussion because there's, as as I am one to say on this show, there's always nuance with these kinds of sure. things, right? If LeBron, if LeBron James, now you got me thinking yep. about that terrible Wizards loss last night. My mm. gosh. If Patrick Mahomes, or I'm sorry, if Lamar Jackson had what Patrick Mahomes had this past season, I don't think that he wins the Super Bowl. But if Pat, if Lamar Jackson had what Patrick Mahomes had in 2020, yeah, I think they do. You put Lamar Jackson and Tyreek Hill on the same field at the same time and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire the way he looked that season? Yeah, but was Lamar... That's an unstoppable and I, and I know he won an MVP back then, but I still wonder if that version of Lamar 
if that version of Lamar, granted with a Tyree kill, if if it necessarily means a Super Bowl. I think he was a better quarterback in this MVP season than he was in his other MVP season. But I don't think with I don't think even as I don't even think in his MVP season this year, he wins a Super Bowl if he's the quarterback of the Chiefs. I know it doesn't make any sense. It seems so weird. Because I'm saying he's a better quarterback this year than he was then. I still have to see from Lamar Jackson the decision-making ability. And even in that loss um, in the AFC title game against the Chiefs, even in that loss, there were still some questionable decisions he made with the football when the pocket collapsed and he had to make a play. Yeah. Um, the thing is, the why, the reason it's... I agree with you. And, I, and you know, I'm a, I'm a Lamar Jackson guy, but I agree with you that with this season... So here's my reasoning behind it. These the two teams, when you look at the Ravens and the Chiefs, they're so similarly built. They now were so they similarly are. built. Not this back season. then. Yeah. Right, right, right. And we saw Lamar Jackson this year had a great defense, had an offense with not a lot of talent on it besides him, and it didn't work out. So what's to make you think that if he goes to Kansas City where they have as good, if not better, of a defense, and probably about the same weapons wise? Uh, that the Ravens do maybe a little bit better, like a hair. Um, actually, I take that back. They don't, because Zay Flowers is better than Rashi Rice. I take that back. Um, yeah. So the 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 weapons around them are, are exactly comparable. It would, to me, be putting Lamar Jackson on the Ravens of the West. It's almost unfair to me. To me, it's almost unfair, though, that we're even having this conversation, because I feel like it diminishes what we've seen from Patrick Mahomes here with these three Super Bowls already. You know, the fact that we're even having this conversation, pairing him up or, or pitting him against a Lamar Jackson, who's won nothing, I mean, let's be honest about it, who's won nothing but individual awards to, against a guy who's won three Super Bowls, beaten some of the best, um... To me, it's just it's just kind of unfair, and it feels like we're giving short shrift to Patrick Mahomes or trying to find a reason to to sort of bring him down a notch when right now it feels like, to me, all we should be doing is elevating him given what he's accomplished over the last four or five years. I It's so hard when you talk about quarterbacks in today's day and age, Jason, yeah. because we went from one goat to another. Uh, who crazy. May be we're spoiled. And, and before that, we hadn't seen it in decades. Yeah, we're spoiled. I mean, there's there's no getting around it um, when we watch these two teams. And, and there's going to be a lot of pressure next year uh, on Lamar Jackson coming off what transpired this year. Um, you know, and again, it, some people watched him in the postseason, and he seemed like it seemed like he was trying to become more of a pocket passer. He only ran the ball late in games when the team was down. Um, you wonder next year if we might see more of running Lamar, you know, if he sort of tweaks what he did, um, where it felt like at times he didn't run the ball as much this season and was trying to become more of that pocket passer instead of embracing what he is, which is a guy that's elusive, can run, can escape the pocket, make plays with his legs. Be interesting to see how that changes next year. We'll come back, do some baseball. Sam will rejoin us for something to consider a little later on in the program. Our Oakland A's preview with Martin Gallegos of MLB.com. Let's wrap up the AL West with him next. 
Over 13 million Americans were affected by identity theft in 2022, and the threats go way beyond just credit card fraud. Today's identity thieves can use your information in ways that are easy to miss by just monitoring accounts and credit, like opening loans, transferring home titles, even committing crimes. Someone got my social security number, made a driver's license, and it was used for criminal activity. You can do so much with a social security number that I didn't know could happen. They drained my bank account. It was terrifying. You're even more vulnerable than you realize. Your information is exposed through online shopping, banking, even corporate data breaches. No wonder there's a new victim of identity theft every three seconds. Only LifeLock alerts you to the widest volume of threats all in one place, like someone trying to use your social security number, open a new loan in your name, or even commit a crime in your name. There was a big yes button and there was a big no button. I clicked, that's not me, and LifeLock took it from there. If you become a victim of identity theft, a dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will be assigned to your case and work to fix the issue on your behalf. If something happens, you have somebody fighting for you. All LifeLock members are backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package, including reimbursement for stolen funds, personal expenses, and coverage for lawyers and experts up to $1 million. It can be dangerously easy to steal your identity. With LifeLock, it's easy to help protect yourself. I will be with LifeLock forever. Join the millions of people already protected by LifeLock. And for a limited time, save 25% on your first year with promo code 25TV. All plans include a 60-day money-back guarantee. Call 800-710-7531 or visit lifelock.com slash 25TV to save 25% on your first year of identity theft protection. Enroll now. Attention timeshare owners. This is an urgent consumer alert from the Timeshare Exit Hotline, a national company specializing in helping consumers legally get out of their expensive timeshare contracts. We're offering you a way to legally get rid of your timeshare. So if you're fed up with the maintenance fees that keep on coming and want to learn if you can terminate your timeshare legally and permanently, call today. Call the number on your screen today. It's a free call. Sports Wrap continues on this Friday. I have promised you 30 teams in 30 shows. We're getting there. Final team in the AL West this week. The Oakland A's. We saved the best for last. (laughs) Martin Gallegos is with us from uh, MLB.com. He covers the A's for MLB.com, hangs out with us uh, here on the program. And Martin, look, let's get let's get the elephant out of the room here, so to speak, or get the elephant in the room out of the way. Obviously, this team is playing with a black cloud over its head with the move to Vegas, where they're going to be playing in the next few years while they wait to go to Vegas. Assuming the Vegas thing even gets done, which who knows, how has the team handled the questions about that early on? Or have they just said, hey, we're here to play baseball and we're casting that aside? Yeah, I think from day one, you know, when they all got into camp for full squad workouts, uh, Mark Kotze, he knew, he knew, you know, that was, that was something that he was going to have to address in his, you know, meeting with the team as a whole. And he did, you know, he basically told them, you know, all the information that they know is, is about the move, which honestly, you know, they're not, they're not, you know, they're just like all of us, you know, we're just yeah. kind of wondering what's going to happen next year. Um, they don't, they don't know any more information than we really do. Um, but he let them know that, you know, let's just focus on this year. 
Um, you know, all these guys are coming in trying to win a job. You know, they're trying to, uh, a lot of these guys are young, trying to establish themselves in 2024. Um, to look beyond this year, it's just, it's not something that is really on their minds. Um, they're just trying to, you know, put together a solid team for this year. And um, look, there is some optimism around here with the young players that they have and some pitching additions that they made. I think that was kind of the focus in that meeting was, you know, let's focus on this year. This might be our last year in Oakland. It might not. We don't know. Um, at some point before, you know, the regular season or, or shortly after, maybe there'll be more clarity. But um, let's just focus on this year and try to be the best team that we can this year. I think that was kind of the message. Yeah, I, I get that sense. And when you talk about this team from the offensive side of things, it really feels like it starts and ends with Zach Geloff, doesn't it? Yeah, without a doubt. Um, he's really, I mean, early, even early on these spring games, it seems like he's really locked in, uh, kind of a carryover from what he did last year. It was pretty remarkable what he did as soon as he came up from the minors. And really, you know, I covered this team when Matt Chapman was around and he came up from the minors and kind of developed into a young leader. I kind of get the similar feeling with, with Zach Geloff. Now, you know, time will tell if he can become a Matt Chapman type player. He's obviously a really great player, but um, early on, it seems like all the, you know, he's passing all the, he's checking all the boxes that, you know, are required for a player of that caliber from being in the clubhouse and being a young leader for, you know, to be his age, to be a leader, you know, it's pretty rare. And obviously what he does on the field, defensively, offensively, just seems to be like an all around really good player. And so it's really exciting. I think it's going to be, you know, kind of a breakout year for him in 2024, um, for his first full season of the majors. And you almost do, though, when you think about the youth on this team, you almost do have to be extra mentally tough, given all of the distractions of everything else going on around with this organization. It, it almost feels like they have to be um, extra mentally tough to sort of endure all that. Yeah, I think so. I mean, these guys get, you know, especially over the past year, um, everyone who came up, you know, from the minors almost immediately, you know, they're kind of thrust into the whole outside situation that's going on with the team and the whole Las Vegas move and, you know, what's going on with the fans and they show up to the Coliseum and see the protests and stuff. So, um, you know, they kind of are forced to, you know, really know, uh, you know, what's going on and kind of have to work through that and just focus on trying to establish themselves at the big league level. And obviously it's not easy when stuff like that is going on, but I think they've done a good job of kind of handling that uh, and on mental side of it. Um, talk about this rotation. You mentioned some of the moves they made in this offseason to try and do some upgrades uh, in that regard. Get into a little bit of the arms here that we have in Oakland. Yeah, well, it's definitely, it feels like there's going to be a lot more stability this year as opposed to last year. I mean, coming into camp last year, there were so many unknowns. They went out and signed, you know, a couple of guys, you know, Shatar Fujinami and Drew Rosinski last year yeah. who were playing overseas. And um, that ended up being a disaster, you know, trying to get them in their rotation. They were counting on them to be innings eaters. That didn't work out. So this year, you know, they kind of made it a mission to go out and find some established guys. They brought in two guys, Alex Wood, uh, free agency, and Ross Stripling via trade. Both guys were with the Giants last year. And um, these guys have track records. You know, both guys have been all-stars before. Um, Alex Wood, a guy who last year with the Giants, well, both him and Stripling were both kind of in a hybrid pitching roles. The A's plan to use them both as starters and Early on in camp, Alex Wood's going to make his Cactus League debut today. Um, Ross Stripling has been pitching in sim games. But I think the thing that stands out about them so far is kind of their leadership in the clubhouse. They have so many years of experience. And with so many young guys in that clubhouse, they've kind of taken on that role, embraced the role of being leaders in there. So, you know, those are two new additions that I think the A's feel good about. Um, Paul Blackburn, who a couple years ago was an all-star, last year was hurt to begin the season. He's feeling healthy this year. Um, and he, you know, should be a little bit more of a stabilizing force in that rotation as well. J.P. Sears had a pretty solid year last year. His first year in the big leagues, 32 starts. 
Um, he's going to be part of that uh, rotation as well this year. And his first outing looked pretty pretty good. He's adding a sinker this year. So um, they've got four spots that are pretty solidified and then a battle for the fifth spot. And there's a lot of intriguing young names in there, a lot of hard-throwing guys like Luis Medina and Joe Boyle. Uh, Joey Estes, one of their top prospects. Mitch Spence, who they picked up in the Rule 5 draft. So it seems like they've got a pretty good depth, and whoever doesn't make the rotation could either go to the bullpen or go down to AAA and have, you know, build up that depth for whenever they need a guy to turn the season to call up. Uh, Brent Rooker was a big surprise last year early on in the season. He cooled off a little bit in the second half. Um, what are they expecting from Rooker this year now, his second full year in Oakland? I think just more of the same. You know, obviously last year, that first month was he was on fire. It was incredible uh, how good it was. And then he, he did hit a lull in the middle of the season. Towards the end, though, it did seem like he found his swing again. Um, towards the end of the season, yeah. he kind of, you know, at, at one point, it was, you know, he hit 30 home runs. And for most of September, going into September, he thought there was no chance he was going to hit 30 home runs and just got hot again. It felt like he just rediscovered kind of his swing. Um, and coming into this year, he, obviously he's a lot more confident. You know, last year he was trying to make this team this year, he's coming in as an established guy. You can kind of pencil him in as the number three or number four guy in the lineup. And he's going to be playing every day as a DH. So I think they're expecting more of the same. I think he's one of the guys that they're going to count on as a consistent everyday guy, along with Geloff, to kind of solidify that top of the order. Guys like Ryan Noda, Zach Geloff, Brent Brooker, that might, might be your top three uh, in the lineup for the baseball stays. And Ruiz, I only got about 30 seconds here, but Esther Ruiz yeah. at the top of the lineup, uh, who was able to get on base. And in this new era of Major League Baseball, stealing bases, he's yeah. somebody that could certainly wreak havoc on the base paths. Yeah, for sure. And he's an interesting guy because he's kind of retooled his swing. They want to see him get a little bit more hard contact. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he was finding a way to get on base last year, but I uh, want to see him drive the ball a little more. He did put up some decent power numbers in the minors, so... You could see a little bit more power from uh, this year, but obviously, yeah, the base link threat is incredible. With them. Yeah, certainly it is. Martin Gallegos covers the Oakland A's for MLB.com in Mesa, Arizona at spring training. Martin, thank you. Uh, let's do it again throughout the season, all right? Yeah, no problem, Jason. Anytime. Good stuff. Martin Gallegos hanging out with us on the show. Let's come back. More to do. We'll do some NASCAR. Our friend um tino patino will drop by get some thoughts with him on this week's race in las vegas there we go a's las vegas it all goes together we're coming back we continue on this friday edition of the show time to talk nascar <laughs> I can't even laugh. Before I even bring this guy on, I start laughing. Because all I could see is him losing his mind last uh, last Sunday, early evening. That was kind of late. Tino Patino, our NASCAR insider, Sirius XM NASCAR radio, hanging out with us uh, on the show to preview this week's race in Las Vegas. The Pennzoil 400 presented by Jiffy Lube. I don't know why I'm giving them so much. I, I give I give way too much free advertising to these companies that aren't spending any money with me. Um, all right, Tino. Before we get to to Vegas, which we'll do in the next segment, um, we got to talk about and and sort of recap what took place last week because I, I and I brought it up with Sam on Monday. I said, was this the best NASCAR finish ever? Um, and you have a little more perspective on that in terms of the history of the sport and all of that. So I want to get your take, first of all, on the three-wide finish from last week and and sort of how all of that ended and comparing it to, to similar-type finishes over the years. 
Yeah, I mean, the fact that the race happened the way it did, we saw four wide passes for the lead throughout Mm. the race. Uh, You know, great racing in terms of drivers jockeying for position, lead changes, um, minimal crashes as well. That There weren't too many wrecks in this one, and that was to benefit because the racing that was happening throughout this race was absolutely immaculate. I, I haven't seen many races as good as this one, and for this finish to be, you know, first and second decided by three one thousandths of a second. Oh man, I'm getting chills just thinking <laughs> of it again. It was an awesome race. And that finish just was the icing on the top, the cherry on the cake. However we want to put it, it really capped off a great race. And to me, that makes the finish even better because of how the race went as a whole. Now, you know, it is not the closest finish in NASCAR history. It's the third closest finish in NASCAR history as well. Um, Kyle Busch was asked after the after the race, was there anything he could have um, done differently? You know, was was there and and usually the person who's in third in that stretch run and he pointed this out usually winds up capturing the checkered flag uh, at the start finish line. What did you see from Bush down the stretch that maybe doomed him and, and kept him from winning this race? Well, he just didn't get a push there at the end. That's all it really came down to. Three three drivers going side by side. Another thing I'll mention, too, is with Kyle Busch being in the middle, he was the one being side-drafted by both Ryan Blaney and Daniel Suarez. He couldn't get the the side-draft off of either of them because he was stuck in the middle. So both cars were able to get close to him. But that was the only play he had was to go into the middle. He didn't have a shot. He didn't have a choice. Yeah, he did not have a choice besides take the middle lane, and he did it perfectly, I would say, like without wrecking anyone for the win or anything like that. Yeah. All three drivers raced it clean, and it was awesome to see. I think if Ryan Blaney gets a bump from Bubba Wallace, which if you you know watch the replay, that was there. Like, that was supposed to happen. Bubba tried to slide up, give him a boost there at the end, and his car just you know got a little bit loose. He, he lost the you know, a nose off corner exit there. And ultimately that's what made the finish as close as it was. I think, you know, what Kyle Busch could have done differently was gotten a push, you know, maybe, you know, like I said, Bo Wallace, Austin Cindric was in the mix as well, Mm -hmm. but those three cars got detached and then the race was a photo finish from there. Why were so many people saying this was a popular win? Daniel Suarez getting this win. What is it about Daniel Suarez that made this such a popular win? Well, Daniel is a driver that came from Mexico to race in the NASCAR Cup Series, and that's something that has not been done before. So for him just to be in this series is a win in itself. For him to now have his second career win just proves that he can now have less pressure on him because now aside from everything it took for him to get to this spot, which was a lot. I mean, like you said, he, or like I, you know, we noted that he hasn't, uh, this hasn't been done before, right, with other drivers and He's the first one. He's a trailblazer, and he really is. He's the first driver to do this, and he didn't speak English coming into the country. He was able to figure that out, which is necessary. And then, you know, think about all the work you do with sponsors and talking about the how the team does and all the media stuff. Daniel does it well. And now, you know, he's on a likable team with Trackhouse. But the thing is... He wasn't really running up front. He wasn't really winning races. Ross Chastain is a championship four contender one year. Shane Van Gisbergen comes in from the uh, supercar series in uh, Australia there. He wins his first start at the Chicago street race. And then you have Daniel Suarez, right? Like just sitting there 
kind of in the back of the field. A top 10 is is nice for him. He had chances to win last year, but he did not get the job done. So for him to break through and get this win is very popular because now people can really see how he performs with little to no pressure. He, it was said that he was on the hot seat this year, and I think that was fair. Now they get the win. Trackhouse owner comes out and says, we want Daniel forever. And in hearing that, he could have said, okay, you know, great. I'm probably in the blocked in for the playoffs now. We can just race clean and, and relax. No, Daniel goes in his press conference and says, we're not satisfied with this. He doesn't want to... He doesn't want people to be surprised when he's winning races. And to me, that's the biggest thing. I love that mentality from him. Um, I got two minutes left in this segment, then we'll get to Vegas in the next segment. One of the things I heard in the in the radio communication with, with drivers was just talking about the white-knuckled nature of these super speedway races. And and it was interesting to me, because this is the most of a, of a NASCAR race I've ever watched. This thing was riveting from start to finish. It sucked me in. But hearing the drivers talk about the fear of of wrecking, just trying to stay alive on this track, that doesn't seem hyperbolic. That fear seems real. Yeah. Oh, and it was. And this was. I'm glad you mentioned super speedway racing because a we've never had back to back super speedways before in the Cup Series. We went from Daytona to Atlanta, which is now a super speedway. But we need to note this one is a mile and a half long. It is very tight corners, and yet they're still going four wide. They're still struggling to keep the car straight in the corners because there is a high volume of tire wear at this racetrack that you normally don't see on a super speedway race. So to me, it was. It everyone was a little concerned when Atlanta got reconfigured mm. into this type of racetrack and the racing that it's put on the drivers love and the fans love it even more. Yeah. And it was like I said, if there's a race that's going to get you pulled into NASCAR and get you excited and make you want to watch more NASCAR, this was the race for sure. We're talking with Tino Patino, Sirius XM NASCAR radio, also our NASCAR uh, insider, our betting insider. We're going to preview next week's, or I should say this week's race, the Pennzoil 400, presented by Jiffy Lube. That comes your way on Sunday. We'll get into that with Tino coming up here in a couple of minutes. Stick around for that as we continue on this Friday edition of Sports Wrap. Don't go anywhere. Attention timeshare owners. This is an urgent consumer alert from the Timeshare Exit Hotline, a national company specializing in helping consumers legally get out of their expensive timeshare contracts. We're offering you a way to legally get rid of your timeshare. So if you're fed up with the maintenance fees that keep on coming and want to learn if you can terminate your timeshare legally and permanently, call today. Call the number on your screen today. It's a free call. Let's keep the conversation going on NASCAR with Tino Pitino, our friend from Sirius XM NASCAR Radio, our NASCAR insider, our betting insider as well. All right, before I get to the race in Las Vegas, Tino, we have, we have some business to address. For people who didn't see it on Monday, this was Tino Pitino on X, formerly known as Twitter, losing his mind at the end of um, the Ambetter 400. Watch for yourself. Three wide! Do it on the third floor! Three wide! Brady! Brady! Does he get it? Who's it gonna be? 
never gets old. Never gets old. Um, hey, the, the thrill of victory. All right. Explain, explain what had you. Because people may not understand why you were so enthralled with this finish. It, it can't just simply be that it was this crazy finish. There's got to be a backstory here. Well, if you tuned into the show, you know, people would have seen that we had Ryan Blaney to win that race at a 10 to 1 ticket at the time uh, when we talked on the show about him and also Ford to win that race, which Ryan Blaney was. So those three one thousandths of a second to me was the difference between a huge payday and, well, not. <laughs> so Daniel Suarez ultimately took that away from us. And, you know, did it hurt for a split second? But then I was happy for the sport. I mean, great finish. And, you know, I knew that video was probably going to do some numbies as well on social. So I couldn't complain. But ultimately, it was all those things culminated into one giant reaction. And I like to go big. I mean, uh, what can I say? Yeah. I, I don't know what was crazier, the reaction to the outfit you were wearing when it happened. Um, all right. Let's talk. Let's talk about Las Vegas. Um, the Pennzoil 400 at Las Vegas this weekend. Obviously, uh, you know, a bit of a a come down from the super speedway racing we've seen the last two weeks. Give me a sense for what we could expect from a racing standpoint this week in Las Vegas. Okay. So from a racing standpoint in this one, 267 laps for 400 miles, like you mentioned, this is the first true test of speed. We saw two super speedway races back to back. Awesome racing, love that. But now it's time where we can really show some stats and show what this track actually, um, you know, has to show in terms of the drivers that are good at it. Kyle Larson being one of them. But this is a one and a half mile long track. It's an intermediate. It's a slick race track. Track position is going to be key in this one. This is just a track where we see drivers who qualify up front will normally stay there, and you know, maybe not a pole winner doesn't need to always be in position there at start first and finish first, but definitely within the top 10 is going to be a place where you want to start as the winner has come from the top 10, 59% of the time. So that's just something to note there from Las Vegas. It's also a slick racetrack, as I mentioned. So you got to really manage your tires. Well, the drivers that can do that the most will be there at the end with the best equipment. Uh, Kyle Larson and William Byron, the favorites right now over on FanDuel Sportsbook, the unofficial sportsbook of sports rap unofficial. Why? They don't pass. Uh, Larson and Byron at plus 550. Denny Hamlin at plus 800 along with Chase Elliott. And then Joey Logano at plus 1,000. If you're looking at the top of the favorites here, uh, is there one that sticks out to you more than another? Well, it's Kyle Larson. Not only is he very much the top, right? Like As you mentioned, the difference there is pretty substantial between Larson being the favorite and Byron in second amongst the other drivers. But the reason is... You know, for good reason as well. Kyle Larson in the next gen car specifically has three top two finishes um, in the last four races at Las Vegas. And the only time that he didn't finish inside the top 10 was when he got into an accident. So to me, he won the last race at Las Vegas as well. And it's not just this track specifically. It's this type of racetrack for Larson at Kansas, which we can compare to this track. He has 475 laps led in the last six races, a sixth place average finish, a win there as well. Michigan, same exact thing. He has a five uh, place average finish, three top tens in that one in the last three races there. So those are two tracks that are comparable to Vegas. And we see Kyle Larson have success on both of them. It's just wherever he goes on this type of racetrack, he performs 
performs the best, and he has the best equipment to do so. I'm expecting Kyle Larson to go out and dominate this race. Wow. It could be from start to finish. There are drivers that I like, you know, to compete against him, but I mean, the stats are there and he's in the best equipment and Chevy as well has won six out of the last Las Vegas races, which Larson is. Um, if you're looking further down and looking for some uh, underdogs to sprinkle a little bit on is our buddy, Sam Yarnell likes to say, where are you going? Well, I wouldn't say this is underdog territory quite yet as they are closer to the front of the leaderboard here, but I want to definitely note Kyle Busch. He's a driver that at least has moved around the sports books a little bit in terms of value this week. I saw him at 11 to one earlier. He's now at nine to one. And this is specifically on DraftKings, the official sports book of NASCAR. I'm sure he, you can find him in the 10 to one range um, just in general here for Kyle Busch. Now, why I like Kyle Busch, he has three top fives in the last three Las Vegas races. It's his home track. He's the current points leader. Oh, and the biggest thing, Practice. We're talking about practice. This is the first week that NASCAR is having practice that will be substantial enough to help the drivers gain an edge. And Kyle Busch is one of the best at doing that. One of the best at getting the cars where they need to be after practice and qualifying. If we're talking about closing line value, I think Kyle Busch right now is one of the best drivers to hop on early before practice and qualifying. He may get a high starting position within the top three or five. That could cut his value in half. Other driver I need to mention is Christopher Bell. Oh, yeah. What, you got something? You got something? What do you got? No, no. Finish up because I got to go here. Christopher Bell at 10 to 1 as well. I think he is going to be huge in this one. But Kyle Larson is your pick. You're on the record. Tino Patino, Sirius XM NASCAR Radio, our NASCAR guy as well. We'll see you next week. Hi, friends. Richard Karn here. Now, I'm known as the guy who can fix just about anything, but the technology in most appliances requires very special training to fix. And that's why my family has Choice Home Warranty. Choice Home Warranty covers over 25 major home systems and appliances. That's your AC, heating, plumbing, kitchen and laundry appliances, and so much more. Imagine for less than a cup of coffee a day, Choice Home Warranty can help protect you from expensive major system and appliance breakdowns that your homeowner's insurance doesn't cover. Call Choice Home Warranty now and get access to a nationwide network of over 15,000 technicians and the latest appointment setting technology so you'll know when they're on their way. So do what this old DIYer did and call Choice Home Warranty now before something breaks down. Get protection for your heating, AC, plumbing, kitchen and laundry appliances and more. Call for your free quote today. Call in the next five minutes and get your first month free. 800-394-8109. Let's keep things moving on this Friday edition of the program. Odds and ends right around the corner. Anthony Kim making his live golf debut in Jeddah. <laughs> I don't think go as planned. We'll get to that coming up. But first, time for something to consider. Sam Yarnell rejoins us. Um, rookie of the year. It feels like Victor Wimbamyama may have sewn it up uh, with a hell of an effort last night in a win. Good win for this young Spurs team. Uh, against the Oklahoma City Thunder. The final was 132-118. Wemby putting up big numbers again. Uh, This time it was 28 points, 13 rebounds, 7 assists, 2 steals, 5 blocks, or as you termed it, a Wembegami? Was that that what it's being called? This is, so I haven't termed this. Credit to 
extra stat muse on Twitter, not yeah. just stat muse. We're yeah. going deeper than that because the yeah. Prince of Picks gets all the analytics. Jason yeah, knows yeah. this. Uh, it is the first time in NBA history a player has had that exact stat line. No player ever in NBA history uh, has had 28, 13, and 7 and added two steals and five blocks on five threes made. How would somebody even research that? That's what I want to know. How would somebody be able to go through? I I, I don't understand how. And and people with way too much time, Jason, yeah, way too, too much, much time, time on their hands. Uh, look, you know, here's an interesting question. And right now, Wemba Miyama, it feels like he's got the uh, rookie of the year locked up. At least the odds makers certainly seem to think so. He's minus thirteen fifty right now over on FanDuel Sportsbook, the unofficial sportsbook of Sports Wrap unofficial. Why they don't pay us? Um, Chet Holmgren is plus 1,000. Here's a more interesting question I want to ask you. And it sounds crazy to ask this because the obvious answer would seem like yes, but it's not. Will Victor Wimbamyama win an NBA MVP in his career? I think so. Once I don't he's know. Because the be era around. he's playing in and the guys he's playing with I think it's going to be really difficult for him. At the latest, he'll be around in his... He's so young. Let's mm-hmm. not forget that. Like, let's... He's, what, 19, 20 years old? Uh, this is a kid who will be around when Giannis is gone, when Jokic is gone, when uh, LeBron is gone, when Anthony Davis is gone. He'll be there, uh, and, and he is the next generation of these... Uh, low post players, right? His competition over, you know, when we think about it, it's going to be who? Who it is this year in the MVP conversation outside of Jokic. It's going to be Shea and it's going to be Luka. Uh, And down the road, there will be years where the voters will want to give it to a big and and Wemby will be that de facto big. I'm skeptical. Um, Jokic right now is your, let's kind of segue into the, into the MVP conversation. I just here teed for it up moment. for you there. Thank beautifully. You. I appreciate it. I'm a little, I'm a little slow on the, uh, on the uptake today. Um, Nikola Jokic is your MVP candidate, uh, is your top MVP pick right now, as far as FanDuel is concerned, but the odds have narrowed. I mean, it, it was thought of as a foregone conclusion. It was going to be Jokic maybe a month ago, especially with Joel Embiid going down, um, and losing out on the 65 game threshold. You got Jokic right now at minus 140, and then Shea Gilgis Alexander at plus 210. And my sprinkle pick, if you're going to sprinkle, sprinkle, if you're going to sprinkle, sprinkle, I like Luca at plus 500. I mean, the dude's averaging like a 35 point triple double right now for the last couple of weeks. He is doing insane things for that Mavericks team that's playing pretty darn well and is a scary out come the postseason. I think Luca's starting to gain some momentum here in the MVP conversation. What do you think? I agree with you. He's the NBA's leading scorer right now. It's hard to argue with that. Luca has looked really good over the course of really since the new year kicked in uh, over the last now two full months. uh, He's looked like an MVP. If he can keep that up, yeah, and Jokic has definitely had a downturn in kind of that same period of time because it feels like maybe on a personal level he was cruising. And don't get me wrong, the Nuggets haven't slid that much, but they have slid a little bit. Let's not forget they're not second place in nope. the West anymore. Uh, so, yeah, it's 
it's very it's an interesting dynamic here with the MVP because like you said Jason I was on this show the day after we found out that Embiid wasn't going to make the the threshold and I said well MVP market's gone no point in betting it at this point Jokic is just going to win I I'm less and less confident in that by the day yeah and I think I'll tell you another advantage real quick here before we get to Caitlin Clark for just a minute um the advantage for Luka Doncic is he's going to get more time on TV than Shea Gilgis Alexander will and that the, the media that's going to help as far as the the media sentiment is concerned. Caitlin Clark makes it official. We were just talking about her on the show yesterday, and you said, "Hey, when she goes to the WNBA," and I said, "Well, if she goes to the WNBA, she must have been listening because she announced she is going to make herself eligible for the WNBA draft. We will see her playing in the WNBA this summer. And if you want a reason to watch the WNBA, now you got it right." Yeah, uh, just let the viewers and listeners take note that the Prince's sources, they don't miss. Um, yeah, this is exciting. It's great for women's basketball. I mean, I'm excited to see wherever she... Imagine she goes to the Liberty. Uh, imagine somehow, uh, some way, uh, the Liberty end up with Caitlin high. Clark that, at some a, point. I don't even know who has the number one overall pick in the WNBA draft. You'd think I would. I'm know. not sure either. Yeah, I'm uh, not I, sure I, either. We haven't gone I'll that wait deep. for you to pull it up. But <laughs> but let's just think about how cool the NBA the WNBA All-Star game is going to be. Like yeah. that's going to take over for the NBA All-Star game. You're going to have Yanescu, Stewart, Clark, uh talking about Juju Watkins getting involved in the draft as well. Let's go WNBA. Uh Indiana Fever has the number 1 pick. Sure. There you go. They've got a decision to make. They certainly do. Odds and ends are next on Sports Wrap. Don't forget, if you miss anything from the show throughout the week, all you got to do, check out the podcast, vodcast version of the show. It's on Spotify. Uh, It's also available wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio. You name it. You don't have to just watch us on TV. We'd like you to. It's bigger. You get us in big screen like me on 50 inches. Come on, man. Who doesn't want that? Um, So anyway, just another way to ingest this show. Also, reach out to me anytime over on X, formerly known as Twitter, at the back page. Time for odds and ends. Not a very good ending to the day for Anthony Kim. Uh, his first round in the books at the Live a Golf event. Live a Golf. I don't know why I called it Live a Golf. Uh, Live Golf event in Jeddah. He shot a 76 today in his opening round in his first tournament in 11 years, Sam Yarnell. He is dead last in the field. I think he's like 14 shots behind the leader. Uh, John Rahm, I believe, leading the way. After the first round there, uh, the round included a shank. So we had Tiger shanking one a week or two ago. We had Anthony Kim shanking one this time around. Uh, Greg Norman said there was a drone flying overhead that may have distracted him, which is why he shanked it. Out. I don't know, whatever. Right. Yeah, we all need a reason. It's his first tournament back. I'm not going to lose my mind over Anthony Kim shooting a 76. It could have been an 86. Charlie Woods. Anybody? No? Uh, I agree with you. I, I think that the, the you know, to 
to put the betting aspect into this, talking sure. to some to some Vegas people uh, throughout the the week leading Is up. Is there to the betting tournament. available on Live Golf? Oh, 100%. Oh, really? I didn't I never Very looked. much so. Never yeah, looked. you can bet team to win, you can bet outright winners, you That's can cool. bet head to heads. Yeah. Yeah, no. Uh there's a lot of live golf betting. Okay. Um Anthony Kim was about 150 to 1 to win this tournament outright coming in. Uh and a lot of the traders that I spoke with in Vegas said that they should they thought that he should be about 400 to 1. <laughs> That's uh, about right. And that there was just money coming in on Anthony Kim. Uh, and I just can't believe that why oh. people would put real American money on him. Uh, it's crazy. 400 to one sounds like a much better number. And that's kind of what he's playing like through one round. Uh, but I'm interested to see the progression. Uh, definitely. will be following this story throughout the, the coming months of the live season. Making me want to play. Take out the Cleveland wedge, take out the Cleveland irons. Making me want to play a little bit. Uh, I'm not going crazy about it. It's his first time out. Uh, I think he's going to be fine. He said he hit the ball a lot better than his score would have indicated. Haven't we all said that a time or two? Um, Shohei Otani's marriage. I want to talk about this for a second. I'll put the golf club away here. The prop. Um, you know, Dave Roberts come out, I think it was yesterday, and say that even the organization was surprised to hear that Shohei Otani had been married. And it got me thinking a little bit, Sam. It got me thinking about this idea that as an organization, the Los Angeles Dodgers have invested it all here in Shoei Otani and gone and given him this mammoth contract. Yeah, it's all deferred, but ultimately they're going to have to pay him this money and they're invested in in him as, as a big part of what they're going to do in the future. And the idea that you could spend that kind of money and in essence, not really know anything about this guy because he is so secretive that even your team, the organization you're playing for, that you're going to spend you know seven months a year with, says, we, we had no idea. It was a surprise to us. It really makes you wonder about the due diligence involved and just how willy-nilly teams can spend money when they don't even know this guy. Yeah. I, I'm I'm with you, Jason. I, I saw this story and this quote from Dave Roberts yesterday, and I, I kind of thought the same thing. It was like, you're, you're making this guy the cornerstone of your organization. You didn't at least vet. Because he said this was months ago. Like, n- interest. And that he's known this person for years uh, and that she's just a, a regular Japanese woman. Well, wouldn't that come up in conversation at Somewhere the very with least? with someone? Throughout, well, not even that. Throughout contract negotiations when you're talking about, you know, your future Starting a family yes. over the course yes. of the next yes. 10 years. Right. Come on. I, I don't understand how it didn't come up at some point. And I wonder if it changes, you know, how these teams look into these players before they sign them. Cause we know they look into like their legal background and stuff. Do they start looking into familial I, background? I'm going to tell you this, man, uh, the Wander Franco thing, as much as it's got to freak out to you, it freaked me out. To, to know that an organization brought somebody in and had no idea what was going on behind the scenes in this person's life. I would just think teams now would be doing extra due diligence, especially when it comes to younger players. Otani's not so young, so it's a little different in that situation. But just due diligence on who these people are that you're making these incredible investments. And now ultimately, the Tampa Bay Rays are probably going to be able to get out of this deal with with Franco, depending on what happens with him legally. But still, the headaches and the heartaches it causes for an organization 
when I hear Dave Roberts out there going, yeah, we were as surprised as anybody that the guy got married. It means you don't even know these people. You just, you, you just jump into bed. Hey, you're, you're the future. You're the cornerstone of our franchise. And they have no idea uh, who these people are. All right. It's going to wrap it up for us. By the way, Cam Newton apologizing for that uh, brawl, the viral video that we saw last week. That just crossed uh, the wires. Is, is Otani just never going to be seen in public with this woman? Is that the thing? Is he going to marry her and then never be seen? Because that sounds like the road he wants to go down, which is like, if I married someone, it's not where I'd want to be. That's odds and ends. That wraps it up for us on the show today. Sam, always appreciate it, my man. We will see you next week. I'm Jason Page. That wraps it up for us this week. We'll see you back here on Monday.